And today, a message called Forgetting the Past. Now, I looked up verse 13 in a number of translations, and most of them come up with this interpretation of the middle section of verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. That is the best way, according to the translators, to express what Paul is saying here. You turn your back on what is over here and you move this way to what is ahead. According to Paul, to the prize that is in front of us. Forgetting what lies behind. One of the hardest things for man to do. Now, why did Paul recite this? Why was it important for him to say this? Well, I thought about that, and it came to me that Paul could have been chewed alive by his past if he would have allowed his past to eat at him like yours eats at you. Because he was an arrogant Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of the cause of Christ. The wording in Acts is, he wrought havoc with the church. That was his past. That's why he shouts, forgetting what lies behind. It does you no good. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus, and I choose to look ahead and gain the prize that is before me. I forget everything that is behind me. Now, why would this verse be one of my favorites? Well, I've been in pastoral ministry now 31 years, and I have seen hundreds of people made helpless by looking to the west where the sun sets instead of to the east where the sun rises. They live in their past. They wallow in it. They soak it up. And it defeats them time and time again. I've seen it happen over and over. Paul said if you're going to be victorious, Forget what lies behind. You can't change it. You can't do anything about it. It's back there, and it ought to lie there as though it was not even in existence. And you look to the forward part of this ship called life. You take a hold of what's ahead. That's why it's important to me. Now, on the slope of Long's Peak in Colorado lies the ruin of a gigantic tree. Naturalists tell us that it stood for some 400 years on that peak. It was a seedling when Columbus landed at San Salvador and a half-grown tree when the pilgrims settled at Plymouth. During the course of its long life, it was struck by lightning 14 times, and the innumerable avalanches and storms of four centuries thundered past it, and it survived everything. In the end, however, an army of beetles attacked the tree and leveled it to the ground. 
The insects ate their way through the bark and gradually destroyed the inner strength of the tree by their tiny but incessant attacks. A forest giant which age had not withered, nor lightning blasted, nor storms subdued, fell at last before beetles so small that a man could crush them between his forefinger and his thumb. That is why Paul shouts, forgetting what lies behind, reach for those things which lie ahead, because what lies behind are like those little beetles that eat through the bark and into the inner part of your life and chew you to ribbons, rending you ineffective, helpless. And so we have one of the more important passages of all of Paul's writings before us today. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, always striving, always running, not satisfied with his attainments, straining every nerve, not looking back. That is a message to the New Testament church of any age. Now this morning... My three-point outline comes from former heavyweight champion Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey gave me the points for this sermon in a little tiny article that he had in a magazine or a book, a short article about the toughest opponent he ever fought. He began by saying, Take courage. Number one, take courage. Jack Dempsey used to do what coaches do. He would give himself pep talks. The coach does that before the game at halftime. What is important now is not last week's game, but what's going to happen in the next couple of hours. And the coach tries to build up his troops. Jack, Jack Dempsey said as he would walk into the ring, he would pep talk himself this way. Nothing is going to hurt me, he would say. I won't feel his blows. I can't get hurt. I am going to keep going no matter what happens. And he said, through all of my career, I only ever felt one blow. It was one that hit him in the ribs and broke three ribs. He said, I felt the pain of that blow, but that's the only blow I ever felt the pain of in all my career. Because he took courage. Now you may say that sounds like possibility thinking or positive thinking, but I think it's much more than that. It's what Paul was giving to the Philippians from a jail long ago. When he said, I haven't arrived, I forget what is behind, I reach forward to those things ahead, I press toward the goal. That was a pep talk to the Philippians. And it's a pep talk to us from a prison, keeping his courage up, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, inner braces for life's races. Take courage. You're going to make it. Greater is he that is in you 
than he that is against you. Nothing can touch you without God's permission. Nothing can harm you where God is in control. Take courage for giving what lies behind. I press toward the mark for the prize. Hallelujah. Now we need to remember the facts as we take courage. Two things that come to my mind. First, we are chosen by the Lord. Paul said, I have been apprehended by him. A light came from heaven. He was honored with the salvation of the Lord. The greatest single thing that can happen to a person in life is to be saved. But we forget it. Some of you haven't thought about it all week. You have been wallowing around in your problems and in your past and forgetting totally what Paul wants us to remember. We are saved and what a high calling it is to be saved. To be forgiven of our sin. John, the beloved disciple, got so excited about it in 1 John 3, 2, he shouted, Beloved! It's like saying, Hey! Wake up! Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Have you thought lately of the great privilege it is to be a Christian, to follow Jesus Christ, to have his living presence in your life every day, to have been apprehended by him? We didn't choose him. He chose us. He hounded us. He kept after us. He followed us. He would not let us go. The hound of heaven kept on our heels. And finally we turned around and met him face to face and we fell in love with Jesus, apprehended by him. What a privilege to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul never got over that. And I don't want to get over it either. And then we're called to serve, not only chosen by the Lord as believers, but called to serve Him. What an honor. I never get over that. When I walk out here in the morning in these services and see these hundreds of people, I just am so amazed and blessed that I could be an agent through which Jesus Christ can speak and his Holy Spirit can work. I just marvel at it that he didn't send some angel here, but he chose a mortal man, a sinful man, a weak man to stand here behind what we call the sacred desk and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a joy to be called to serve, and you never get retirement in the Lord's work. You serve Him till you die. You never quit singing in the choir until you're 82. You never stop teaching the class you're always a teacher. You never stop ushering. You never quit deking. You never stop preaching. You just keep at it until Jesus comes because we are called to serve Him. And what a joy it is. What a blessing. It's the most fulfilling thing wherever we serve to be linked up with God. Workers together, as the Bible says, with God. Oh, man. That's what Paul was thinking about. 
forgetting the past. Ah. Nothing he'd ever done back there meant anything when he thought of being saved and being able to serve. Hallelujah. How we forget it. I met Bill Beatty this week, a Catholic charismatic, very excitable man. Bill Beatty, I learned, had been a priest in the Catholic Church years ago. And uh, because of the inequities he saw and things that happened in his life, he totally fell out from the Lord and from the church, left the priesthood, got married, had three children, never went to church for years, never prayed for years, but God did not let Bill Beatty go. Until one day, in God's grace, Bill Beatty met Jesus face to face, saved him, filled him with the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2.4. Now that's speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit gave him the utterance. According to Ephesians, or the church at Ephesus in Acts 19, where they had John and the Apostle Paul come and pray for them, and they received the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. In Acts 10, Bill Beatty received that kind of an experience. And he began tramping this world for Christ in the Catholic charismatic renewal movement. And he reminded us that in February, this next month, the 20th anniversary of the renewal movement will take place. Twenty years ago, the Spirit of God visited Notre Dame. Now, he said, in the United States alone, there are 10 million who have been evangelized from the sacramentalized. Now, you understand that. Out of those who receive the sacraments, which becomes their link with God, they have been evangelized and baptized in the Holy Ghost with the same evidence as in the book of Acts. And they're called Catholic Charismatics. 10 million of them. Now, some of us who have been around a while would have never thought that could happen. That we had a little corner on God, and this could never be. In what some have called the harlot church. But what we're learning, folk, is that God doesn't read signs. God does not read signs. He does not pay any attention to what the label is on the outside of the door, on the sign, on the freeway. What God is looking for is hungry hearts. And I am so blessed to serve God in an hour like this when 10 million Catholics are speaking in tongues and praising the Lord and singing our songs. Hallelujah. Let's forget the past where they said Catholics can't be saved. Catholics won't go to heaven. That's baloney with a capital B. God can do anything he fairly well wants to. And he's doing it. Then Bill Beatty said, I was in Rome and there were 6,000 priests from the third world at the Vatican with the Pope and Mother Teresa and others in a conference on, get this now, holiness. 
He said Mother Teresa preached under an anointing. The Pope preached under an anointing. He said people were speaking in tongues all over the place. They were weeping, tears streaming down their cheeks. They were listening to the Holy Spirit. And he said 6,000 priests went back to 120 countries of the world with the message of salvation and the baptism in the Holy Spirit from Rome. 6,000 of them. I'm excited to be serving the Lord in such a time. Let's look at what God is doing and stop being such a staunch, straight, dull, dead follower of the living God. He's alive today. He's alive. Get on board, little children. Get on board. Paul was thrilled that he'd been called to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And nothing in his past meant anything to this wonderful opportunity. I feel that way today. Hallelujah. I refuse to let the defeats of yesterday cloud my wonderful tomorrows. We're on board and we're going somewhere. I'm taking courage. How about you? God is not defeated. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God knows exactly what's going on. His church will triumph. His church will be victorious. Well, let me get back to Jack Dempsey. He said, number two, stop worrying. I thought, that's good advice from the old fighter. Jack Dempsey used to lie awake at nights before big bouts, tossing and worrying, unable to sleep. He would worry that he might break his hand or sprain his ankle or get his eye cut badly in the first round so he couldn't coordinate his punches. He would get out of bed, look into the mirror, and say to himself, what a fool you are to be worrying about something that hasn't happened and may never happen. And he conquered it. He said, I came to the place where I could brush off worry like so much water. Now, let me tell you what worry does. Number one, worry stifles. I have talked with hundreds of women who want to see their husbands serving God. What is the biggest hindrance? Invariably, they see him as he has been. Ugly, mean, unlovable. And they can't think of him other than in the past. And some of you parents have that same problem with children. You can't think of your children as being sweet and obedient, kind and loving, because they've never been that way. And you can't think of them other than what you have known in the past. Worry stifles. So these women who have come I just use women as an example. Men, we could tell stories about them too. But the biggest hindrance in seeing their husband converted and sitting with them in the pew of the church is their worry that it can't happen because they can't forget. That's why in Hebrews, God put this verse. Now, 
faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. You begin to look through God's eyes. You stop worrying about it. You forget what he or she or it has been and look at what it or he or she can become. And faith takes over. Forgetting what lies behind. Joseph, he was incredible. He got into a pit, and he would say, things are going to get better. And he goes into a prison, and he says, things are going to be better. (laughs) And they were better, eventually. But Joseph always had his eyes on a dream. Something God had given him early in his life, and he never let it go. And it didn't matter whether he was in a pit or a prison. He knew he was going to be in a palace someday. And he eventually was because he looked beyond worry. Now, the second thing worry does is depreciates God's ability. You will never cross the Red Sea if you are worrying about the Egyptians behind you. Never. If you're looking over your shoulder at the army of the enemy, instead of putting your feet in the sea and watching it part by God's power, you'll never see God's miraculous intervention for you because worry depreciates God's ability. In this passage of Philippians, there is another verse. In the next chapter, verse 19, we'll look at on another Sunday, but I just cite it for you at this moment. Verse 19 Chapter 4, my God shall supply all your need. My God shall supply all your need. Free God to bless you by stop worrying and looking behind you. It will do you no good. Things pile up and get higher and higher, and we just can't get over them. They're there staring us in the face and robbing us of the joy and the victory that Paul had in that prison. When he said, I forget those things and I take hold of the prize. Now, I get a lot of magazines in the mail, and sometimes as they come, I just glance through them and I pile them on my desk. Now, I have two offices back there. One is where I meet people, and it's real clean and nice, and nothing ever clutters it. It's just beautiful. They have taken wonderful care of me. It's a gorgeous office. But there's a door that you walk through into my study, and all my books are in there, and, and I have a huge desk there and counters, and I can do anything in there because I can shut the door. And I can pile magazines on the desk that I haven't had time to really go through and rip the pages out that I want to file away. And here on the corner of this desk in the inner study is this pile of magazines getting higher and higher. It's been accumulating for months. And every day I walk in there, I, I'm getting bugged by this pile of magazines. And I want to get at it and rip out articles that I've seen that I want to file away because of them. it may be that I'll need those someday. You never know. And the thing gets higher and higher. And the other day, I got so fed up with that pile, I just walked over to that, and in the name of Jesus, I picked up the whole thing. And I walked over to the wastebasket, and I just went, I threw the whole pile in the wastebasket, and I was free in a moment's time. 
It was marvelous. I can't even explain the feeling I got. Who cares what's in those? I probably know more than what's in those magazines anyway. Who knows? I no more than dumped them in that wastebasket when the Holy Spirit said, you tell your people that's what I'd like them to do with their word. Just go in and pick it all up and go over and dump it in the basket and turn around and say, whoa, that felt good. I'm glad to be over that pile of stuff. Because worry diminishes God's ability. And he has all power in heaven and in earth. You'll never forget that, will you? I have two magazines back on the corner now <laughs> of that desk. And then the Spirit of God witnessed to my heart a wonderful verse from 1 Peter 5. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. <laughs> casting, dumping, pick it up and just <sighs> let the custodian carry it out to the dumpster. You're free of it. That pile will not stare you in the face and debilitate you one more day. Casting all your magazines on him. For he has read them all before you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Stop worrying right now. Did you hear me? Stop worrying right now. Forgetting. Pressing putting behind, moving on. Jack Dempsey said, number three, start praying. Oh, it made so much sense. Take courage, stop worrying, start praying. He said, while I was training for a bout, I always prayed several times a day. When I was in the ring, I always prayed just before the bell sounded for each round. That helped me fight with courage and confidence. I've never gone to bed in my life without saying a prayer, and I've never eaten a meal in my life without first thanking God for it. Hmm? You know what? It's hard to worry and fret about the past when you pray. Prayer does something that deals with that problem. You begin, I think, to get the mind of Christ when you pray. You are opening the channels of your mind and of your spirit for God to speak his truth into the resources of your being so that you don't think like a mortal man. You begin to think like the immortal God and things become attainable and they become real and they become wonderful and joyous and full, forgiving what is behind and pressing on to that which God has for you in the future. Health, wholeness comes back to where there was pain and sickness and death before. Past failures, past sorrows, past half-heartedness seems to fleet away. Uh, 
you begin concentrating on what really matters. Two weeks ago today, I was in church. I hope you were. That meant we could not watch the Niners get trampled by the Giants. But I did watch the sports machine that night, late. And George Michael played a play where Jerry Rice caught a pass cutting across the middle from Joe Montana. He was in the open. Not a soul could touch him. He was headed for the goal line when all of a sudden the ball starts rolling down the field. He dropped the ball, kicks it into the end zone. The Giants fall on it. And that was the end of the 49ers for this season. They would have been ahead at that point. But what happened to Jerry? He lost his concentration. He had the ball, but you know he started thinking, boy, this is going to be in the paper and it's going to be on George Michael's sports machine tonight. I caught this ball. Look at the goal line. I'm, I'm faster than any of these defensive backs. I'm going to be in the end zone in a moment. And he got to thinking about the press he was going to get and the Pro Bowl he was going to get to go to as the best wide receiver, all pro, and he dropped the ball. He lost his concentration. And boy, did the Holy Spirit speak to me about my life. We lose our concentration when we stop praying. That's when all these things come pressing in upon us. And we look back and we say, I'm not worthy. I, I can never succeed. I'll never be a success. I'll never grow. I'll never be any better than I am now. This situation will never change. And over in the corner, the devil's just jumping up and down. That's it. You've got it, man. You've got it. And the Lord says, will you just pray about it? Will you just start praying and let me help you concentrate on me? And the thing can change. Where are you concentrating? What are you thinking about? Where is your life heading? Forgetting the things behind us, we press toward the mark. Like Paul, I press. I strain every nerve. Listen, prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. Prayer is where you get spiritually fit. It is the gymnasium of the soul. I have a son. He is approaching 30 years of age. And one day... I pinched him around the middle and I said, Ricky Jay, when you get to 30, it is really going to be tough because that will grow and develop more and more. And the next thing I knew, old Ricky Jay was running and he was over next door at the fitness center several mornings a week and I begin to see these arms just get, man, huge. Just feel them today, enormous. And his waist starts getting thinner, and his suits look better. Because he listened to his old dad, who said, you're not going to like what's going to happen to you. He went to the gym. Prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. It's where you get in shape. And some of you are flabby as a goose. 
Morning prayer? No. Friday night? No. I can't make it Saturday? No. I just don't have time. Well, you just listen to old daddy. You're going to get flabby and die if you don't get into the gymnasium of the soul. That's how you press on. Prayer lifts the heart above the battles of life and gives it a glimpse of God's resources which spell victory and hope. Lord, make me more like yourself, less like myself, is what we pray. Don't put people down unless it's on your prayer list. Amen. Lucy was standing in the outfield with her glove on her hand and the ball is hit to her and she stands there and lets it fall to her side. Doesn't even bother to reach out her glove. Charlie Brown, the manager, comes running out of the dugout to the outfield and says, Lucy, why didn't you catch that ball? She said, I was having my quiet time. <laughs> oh, there's theology and peanuts. The church was talking to the superintendent about getting a new minister. He said, how big a man do you want? And they said, well, we're not overly particular, but when he's on his knees, we'd like to have him reach heaven. Start praying. And God isn't some little heavenly bellhop just demanding to come at your whim. He's an almighty father who has a will and he bestows his gifts according to what's good for us. My wife and I have very few, very few arguments. But we always have one when we are out away in something where we're ministering and staying in a hotel, and in the morning, she wants to call for room service. And I say, honey, we're healthy people. We can walk down that hallway and get in an elevator and go down to that coffee shop. The prices are less down there. That's really my reason, I think. I'm, I'm tight. And I'll never change. But she wants to pick up that little phone, hit that little button, and say, this is Mrs. Cole in room 434. Good morning. Isn't it a nice day? I would like tea and wheat toast. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, any, well, yeah, that would be fine. And I just see this bill going up and up. And I say, honey, please don't do that. We are able. Ah, and then we hug and, you know, we get it all resolved. She eats her toast and drinks her tea. <laughs> But I have thought more than once <laughs> how much like 
that scenario is how we think of God. Just pick up the phone, press a button, and say, okay, God, it's time. I need you right now. Come on now, heal me. I'm sick. And God so much as says, well, so what? <laughs> Haven't heard from you for a while. You know, we we kind of look at him as a heavenly bellhop, just running to our door at every little poke of the button, and he has it all on a tray, all fixed up for us. Hey, it just ain't that way. Paul was in a prison, buffeting himself when he said, I can't think about the past. I've got to go on, and I'm going to press. I'm going to strain at every nerve. And I'm going to take courage, and I'm going to stop worrying, and I'm going to start praying, and God's going to bring the victory. Church, this is a word from God for us today. Early in 87, forget the past. You haven't prayed in the past, you can start today. If you've been worrying like crazy, God will put it behind you today. And if you haven't taken courage, you can start today and become what God wants you to be in his divine economy and serve him with an anointing and a joy like you've never known before. It's what the world is waiting to see. Sermon over. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Please, Jesus, don't let us forget don't let us treat you like just another bellhop. Oh, God, help us to remember that there are disciplines in the Spirit if we are to be victorious, if our lives are to be full, our families are to be joyous. Come to us today in forgiveness, but also in power that we may rise up to be everything we should be. In Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray this. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, God. There are some of you here who need to give your lives to Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I want to receive him this morning. Will you pray for me right now? I just want you to stand up right now, right where you are. Just stand to your feet, wherever you are, and say, I need Christ. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. And I'm just going to stand and ask you to pray with me and for me, Pastor Cole. God bless you up there in the balcony.